All right. Welcome to today's episode of Women on Women, the podcast where we women talk about women. I'm your host, Sam Lucas. And I'm your other host, Nicole Patton. And today is a very special episode because me and Nicole will be going back to our movie reviews and we will be reviewing my favorite movie of last year. Um, not Nicole's, though, because she sucks. <laughs> it was my third favorite movie. Uh, after fucking Annette. Yeah, I love Annette. Yeah. Um, anyways, so today we are talking about the critically acclaimed movie that came out in 2021. Titan! Yes. Yay! Um, and by the way, we are not French. No. So if we are pronouncing the title of this movie incorrectly or any of these names incorrectly. Um, we're sorry. We're sorry. With that being said, let's jump straight into the episode. It's been a while since we've done a movie review. I'm very excited for this one because this is a movie that I think is really good. Really <laughs> incredible. Um, yeah. So Nicole, how did you hear about Titan? Um, so it was really buzzing on everywhere, on Twitter, on film Twitter. It was popping off. I think it premiered at Cannes, Cannes. I think so, yeah. And it was, and it won the Palme d'Or. So sorry if I pronounced that wrong. And I was, I was just hearing nonstop buzz about it after it had its premiere at the festival. And I thought to myself, I cannot wait to see this. This looks amazing. I'm hearing great things about it. The trailer looked fucking awesome. I watched the trailer. I mainly just heard about it through the buzz at the festival, and it got me really excited for the film. Yeah. Um, I heard about Titan pretty much right after the Palme d'Or scandal happened, because I remember the exact day you, like... I think we were hanging out together and you were like, you'll never believe what Spike Lee just did. Because <laughs> if you don't know, part of the controversy was um, Spike Lee had a little oh, yeah. Moonlight La La Land moment at the Palme d'Or this year. Um, and he announced it super early because people were speaking to him in French and the man does not understand Fran French, so he no. just presented the award <laughs> way before the award was supposed to be presented. I, I feel like it's very similar to the La La Land Moonlight fiasco of, what was that, 2016? It was 20... It was... Tw and 2017, technically, it was the very beginning of 2017. Okay, yeah. And I feel like it's similar because in the same way that... That movie, that that whole, like, controversy kind of deflected from Moonlight actually being Best Picture and how phenomenal it was to have a movie about, you know, a black gay man having that as the winner that year to be overshadowed by this movie. Mm -hmm. I feel like it was very similar to Titan, as Titan is the second movie directed by a woman or... Julia Ducourneau is the second woman to win the Palme d'Or, the way that that was kind of overshadowed in a similar way. I just think it's interesting. It is very interesting and very, very unfortunate. Yeah, but I don't blame Spike Lee. I don't blame Spike Lee. I don't speak <laughs> French either. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot in common. If people were yelling at me, at, if people were yelling at me in French, I would not know what to do either. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Especially while you were on stage. Yeah. <laughs> and he did nothing wrong. So, um, yeah, so that's how I found out about this movie, was through the Palme d'Or fiasco and... 
Um, I also was incredibly excited for this movie because I love Julia Ducournau. I think Ducournau, is that how you say it? I have no idea. I think it's Ducournau. I think so. (laughs) I think I'm doing it right. I love her endlessly. She's probably one of my favorite directors currently. Um, Raw has been one of my favorite movies ever since I first saw it when it came out. And I've just been obsessed with her ever since. And I remember going into Titan and being like, there is no possible way that this can top Raw. And boy, <laughs> was I surprised. So um, do we want to try to explain the plot to Titan? Can you even like that? <laughs> can you even begin? Let's let's attempt. Okay, so it's about a woman. It's a it's about a woman. <laughs> it is that and um at the beginning of the movie she is a younger woman who gets in a, a spoiler alert for Titan. Oh yes, by spoiler the way. alert. She gets in a car crash at a very young age which leaves a scar on her head where a metal disc is inserted or a titanium disc is inserted. And the reason she gets into this car crash is because she's arguing with her father. So her daddy issues are already very apparent from the beginning. (laughs) And then after her car crash, she gains an unusual attraction towards cars. That is very true. (laughs) And um, cut to a few years later when she's an adult, she becomes an exotic dancer at car shows. And by night, she is a serial killer. Yeah. Yes. Can I just say that once the serial killer plotline got introduced, I went, this is my promising young woman. (laughs) I I was, I saw this in a Chicago theater. I was one of probably 10 people in the audience. And as soon as she started killing, especially because I feel like the first person she kills is like this really awful man. Uh-huh. Am I making that up, or was that true? No, that's true. And I went, this is my promising young woman. It was, <laughs> it, it was also my promising young woman. That is what I have to say exactly. This is exactly, like, what I wanted from promising young woman and didn't get. Yeah. Um, minus the part where, spoiler alert, um, she has sex with cars. <laughs> yeah. A lot. If we forgot to mention that, this is a woman who is an exotic dancer, who is also a serial killer, who also enjoys having sex with cars in her free time. That's where the central conflict of the movie comes about. Um, so in one very hefty scene, um, our main character, our main character Alexa, gets impregnated by a car. The car impregnates her. She is pregnant. Car baby. Car baby. (laughs) And... I think it's, like, so surprising, because I went in knowing that this was a movie about a woman who gets impregnated by a car Uh and nothing else. Yeah, that's all I knew, too. And I watched it with other people who didn't know that, (laughs) and to see people's face change, like, when they realize, oh... This is the direction the movie's going in. It's very fun. It is very fun. I love seeing it. I also love it because throughout this movie, there are so many times where you just forget that this woman is impregnated by a car. (laughs) Yes. And I love it. Um, And then if you're wondering how that plot line gets kind of buried under everything else... um, As soon as she gets caught for being a serial killer after killing several people... 
she goes on the run because she's found wanted and they finally found her and she decides to pose as this man's missing (laughs) child who there's like missing posters shown throughout the movie and she sees one and she goes I can look like that and so she breaks her own nose and she decides to shaves her head and shaves her head and decides makes her own binder she does make her own binder, um, including pregnancy binder. Oh, God. Which I appreciate. Also, on t- and she poses as this, this ex-firefighter who is addicted to steroids, missing son. All the while, she is pregnant by a car baby and on the run after being caught for being a serial killer. So much. So, so much. Back. And that's not even the bare minimum. And what's weird about this movie is that it is somehow so heartwarming. Yeah. And so sweet. It really is. <laughs> in, like, all the circumstances. It's a really just surprising film and completely unexpected. It is. And I appreciate it. I think... So, that's what the movie's about. That's the plot. Yeah. Nicole, what do you think Titan is about? Oh my god. Um, (laughs) I definitely feel, well, I think part of it is definitely a film about um, the body. Um, Skin is, like, skin is, like, a prominent role in the film. It's morphed a lot in the film as um, our main character She is constantly changing her body and how her body looks, especially because she has a growing car baby inside of her. And I remember I read an article with um, the actor who plays Alexa, and um, it was kind of explaining how she left all control of her body and gave it to the director, Mm -hmm. um, Julia who I'm not going to pronounce the last name of. Fair enough. And it was kind of, she was kind of explaining how it was really like this, it was an art practice that she had never done before, but it was really like, it was a great experience for her. She gave, like, she was telling how she gave her body to the director, let her create this art piece that she wanted with it. And it's very interesting. Um, I was reading how the director has, like, some sort of fascination with skin, um, that also kind of explains, like, why she directed Raw, a cannibal- cannibalism movie. Yeah. And I, it's just such a topic that you don't really see in media ever. And I think it's really, I think it's really cool when people explore what they're passionate about. And if she's passionate about skin, like, go off. Exactly. I feel like this movie and Raw, and I think and those are Julia Dude. Julia Ducournau's um, main feature films that she's come out with. I think she's had, like, other short films and stuff like that, but um, both of those movies fall into the category of body horror or into the genre, and I think it's so interesting how a lot of the body horror plays with just how women don't have any control of their own body throughout this Alexis is slowly just losing control of her own body, and the same thing happens to the main character in Raw. Obviously, in Raw, Justine loses control of her own body because she resorts to cannibalism after being a lifelong vegetarian, 
In this one, it's, like, more apparent that she's losing control of her own body, both because she is pregnant with a car baby and also because she has to pose as a man and Mm -hmm. go undercover in a way that she actually finds herself being comfortable with, which is incredibly interesting. I think this movie plays with gender in such a fun way. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's just so much to unpack. Like, every... I feel... I've seen this movie so many times by now. Um, We bought it on our YouTube (laughs) account so that we can just go back and watch it whenever we feel like it. And it's just one of those movies, and same thing with Raw, where every time I watch it, I just have a different perspective, and I have a different takeaway where I'm like, oh, this movie's about this now. And then I'm like, oh, it's about this. I agree with that totally. It really is... It tackles so many different topics, but at the same time, it hides the topic. Or not hides, but, like, it doesn't flat out say, like, what it's trying to do. It just shows it, like, visually with, like, body movement, body... I don't know. Body horror is just such a great way to describe the film, Mm -hmm. like, the genre. And I think they just utilize gore in such an impeccable way. Mm -hmm. And... There's no part where the gore in the movie, and there's a lot of gore in this movie. I think, honestly, I find it less disturbing than Raw was, and I feel like a lot of people feel the same way, but, um, or a lot of people feel vice versa, but I feel like there's not really any moment in the movie where the gore feels unnecessary. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I am, I've noticed I don't really have, like, a tolerance for gore when it comes to films. Mm-hmm. I I don't think Raw was graphic at all, but if you ask anybody else, they would disagree with me completely. Exactly. <laughs> People literally left that movie and were throwing up because of how graphic they thought it was. And if I watched gra- I watched Raw and I was like, ah, oh, this is mild. Exactly. <laughs> and I feel like part of that is hearing like everyone being like, wow, this is the most disgusting movie ever. Uh-huh. And I also feel like Maybe it's that it has a woman, a female perspective, because I remember watching um, Benedetta, which Mm -hmm. is a movie that just came out, and the entire time, a movie that's directed by a man, and the entire time I'm watching it, there's just endless scenes where women are being tortured and killed for almost no reason. Like, it feels so unnecessary, and the entire time I'm watching it, I'm like, I can't stand this. Yeah. Like, every second of this is torture to me, and yet mm-hmm. I watch a movie like Titan, <laughs> where she's literally killing people left and right, and kills with, like, a, a man- needle, too. With a needle, and kills a man with a fucking chair, and I'm oh, like, yeah. you go. Like, this, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. This works for me. And especially, like... I'd say the most, like, disturbing, like, aspect for me was, like, when she does have, like, the binder for her baby bump. It is, that was probably the most, like, graphicness for me that made me, like, squirm in my seat because I've always, like, thought, like, I don't know, if I was ever pregnant, like, what if I fall on my stomach? Like, that'd be terrifying for me. Exactly. And it feels like that what... What's happening to her body is, like, so much more scary than, like, falling on your stomach. It's 100%. Or even the parts aren't even necessarily, like, seeing people being, like, killed or tortured. It's just the parts where you're like, ooh, that would hurt. Yeah. Like, there's this one scene that I think makes me cringe more than anything else. Like, the, the scenes that I've noticed make people cringe the most from when I've watched it with other people 
when I watch it with myself are the scenes where she's breaking her nose on the bathroom sink Mm -hmm. because it's not necessarily like super graphic, but it is in a way where it happens really quick and you're just like, oh shit, that would hurt so bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just one of those things where it's like so realistic to the point where you're like, I could feel that happening as I'm watching it. That's how, that's, that's actually a great way to describe it. Cause I definitely felt that, especially like when Alexa is wrapping herself in the duct tape, it made me, it made me squirm in my seat. It Mm -hmm. was an uncomfortable feeling, but I think that's the point. Yeah. And I also think another thing that's important to notice about this movie is that it doesn't necessarily just fall into the horror genre. No. It could honestly be a comedy. (laughs) Like, there are so parts (laughs) that are just so over the top and so fun to watch. And then you just get reminded of what this movie is and you're like, oh my god, that's right. (laughs) Like, possibly one of the funniest scenes in any movie I've ever seen is the scene where Alexa is in the bedroom by herself and the guy, whose name I'm forgetting, his ex-wife, who is the mother of the missing child that she's posing as, um, is having a meeting with them. And Alexa goes into the back room and she unbinds herself because she's like lactating, like motor oil. And it's just coming out and she is naked there's wounds all over her she's leaking out oil and then the mother walks in on this site and she just looks at her like what have you gotten into it's so funny because you just see this expression on her face that is so unamused yet Uh shocked at the same time and you're like of course of course (laughs) like what is gonna happen now like what do you even do in this situation Mm mm-hmm Damn, what do you do in that situation? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I feel like she handled it well. She did handle it well. As well as she could, I guess. Mm -hmm. The soundtrack is... Oh, it's incredible. It's so good. I don't know how... I don't know how she does it. I listen to all those songs on repeat now. And they utilize them so well. It's almost like... it, It feels like the scenes have a certain choreography with each one. Like... As if the as if Julia Ducournau just knew exactly what would be playing as she's filming each moment. Everything is just perfectly in sync, and it works so well. It does. I love even her. the score. It's incredible. Oh my god, the sc- we haven't even talked about the <laughs> score. I could talk for hours about how this movie was robbed of so many Oscars. Oh, it didn't even didn't. I don't think it even got nominated. No. Wait, wait, no, Oscars haven't even been released Okay, it's been shortlists. The shortlists have come out. Yeah. And it wasn't nominated for any Golden Globes. Yeah, it's not getting getting the American Award reception that it needs. It really isn't. Recognition, I mean. Yeah, but, um, I... Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Yeah. But the fact that the Spencer score <laughs> was shortlisted for hey, the Oscars. I'm a fan of the Spencer score. Of the Spencer score? Yes, I, I love You're it. You're a fan of jazz orchestras tuning I... up for two hours straight? Yes. Why? Because it sounds beautiful to my ears. It does. That is the opposite of how it sounds to my ears. It is like nails on a chalkboard, and I love jazz music. I love jazz music too. And I love the Spencer score. I think we can agree to disagree. (laughs) And maybe that was also impacted by my views on Spencer not being the best. But 
We can't help it. It's okay. We cannot. We can't. We can't all be perfect <laughs> like Nicole, but that's okay. But yeah, the score for Tatan is absolutely beautiful. Um, Julia Ducournau paired up with Jem Williams, who also did the score for Raw. And I think he used all of the things that made Raw's score so spectacular and just enhanced them. There's a lot more. He uses the human voice a lot more in this in the score for Tatan, as well as a lot more aspects that I feel have really made the sound so incredible. And it's just such a different score than what you usually hear in movies. And it it, it just changes the whole thing completely and makes it so incredible. It's very true. I, I really think that the score, it kind of like possesses you in a way because... I don't know if we want to talk about the ending of the film yet. Talk about the ending of the um, film. I just, well, at least my reaction to the ending, I kind of sat in the off, on my chair, and they really had this beautiful, like, haunting mu- music going on with the credits, with the credit, when the credits are rolling, and the film, it's very haunting. It definitely leaves, like, an impression on you if you watch it. it the score just kind of reeled me in, um, realizing that I was back in my theater, allowing me to process everything that I just watched. And I remember I was shaking. And I didn't even realize I was shaking, but I was shaking because of how possessive the film can be when you're indulged in it. And after the credits were finished, I went to the bathroom and... I just sat in the bathroom and I was still shaking and I just kind of thought about like how haunting it was and I was just in the little toilet seat and I was just sitting there for like forever before I had to walk home um like just trying to process what I watched and because I just remember the ending score it really struck me the ending song and it really allowed me to reel in and out of what I just seen and I was still like deciphering it I was like what did I just watch because so much happened yeah it was amazing especially in that last in the ending it's so strange how fast this movie goes and never gives you a second to just realize what you've just watched because you're always hit with something new and the ending really doesn't disappoint because every single second of the ending, something new is happening. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's being split open, she's giving birth, she's dying, she's having an intimate moment. It's so incredible. Uh, speaking of intimate moments, we haven't even begun to talk about the near incest in this movie. I, I know we brought up her daddy issues a little bit, but I don't think we've really talked about the significance <laughs> that that has on the plot. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you wanna do you wanna bring it up? I, I guess so. I, I guess since I already did, but um, another concept that I think this film talk tackles really well is trauma in general, especially trauma related to families, and you know her relationship with her family is very impacted by her relationship with herself as well as her relationship with cars, and I feel. This woman has very obviously never had a stable father figure or one that's even really seen her for who she was or appreciated her despite all of her flaws. And for the first time when she poses as someone else's child, she finally gets that. And getting that appreciation is also the first time that she really feels love for another person. That's very true because at the end of the day, the father and 
Alexa, they really do love each other. Mm-hmm. And it's a new kind of love. It is a new kind of love. Even though it is revealed that he knows that this isn't his actual missing son, I believe... I don't know if we know what happened to his missing son. I don't know if that if we no. that was covered, but he knows that this isn't his missing child, and he may never see. He probably won't ever actually find his missing son, especially since like his son would be a grown adult now, and he went missing as a little boy, and they only know what he looked like as a little boy. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also so much that that he also needs. Mm-hmm. something to care for so deeply. There are so many times when Alexa's almost found out or Alexa almost gets in trouble and instead of, like, confronting her or kicking her out or being like, hey, why are you posing as my son? Instead, every single time he just validates her and he's like, I don't care what anyone else says about you. You are my son. Mm-hmm. And that's so beautiful. It is beautiful. That's so... It's really sweet and it's, it's really touching. I just love it. It's cute. Yeah, even though this man is heavily addicted to steroids and he is incredibly scary. Yes, very scary. I would still want him to be my dad. (laughs) He's a firefighter. Uh, He's pretty good at his job, too. He is. He's a really good firefighter. And he even, you know, he even encourages people. He encourages Alexa to become a firefighter. And she is pretty damn good at it. And for the first time, she's seeing... Maybe she can't be a part of something. She can be a part of something. And for the first time, she's actually having empathy for people. Exactly. And she's realizing how she can help people instead of just killing them. Yeah. Like her old ways. <sighs> it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's brilliant. so brilliant. But yeah, the performances in this movie are also incredible. Um, we get another cameo from... I. I'm not going to pronounce her name, but she played Justine in Raw. Main character in Raw. Yeah. Main girl. And the cannibal. The cannibal in Raw. <laughs> and she's also in this movie, which is a great collab to see again. And she plays a character with the same name. Um, both Alexa and Justine are characters in Raw and in Titan. Same with... Um, I'm forgetting the, the, bo- the missing boy's name. Adrian um, is, both a, is a character in both movies. And I feel like that's very interesting that Julia Ducournau kind of has her own... Little universe. Yeah, she has her little cinematic universe, (laughs) which I... Love. Can't wait to see more of. Yeah, everyone just does such a fantastic job in this film. I I can't... I can't even begin to describe it. Literally. Legitimately. Legitimately. (laughs) Shout out to uh, listener Jill for putting us on that term. Yeah, shout out if you're listening to this, Jill. (laughs) I just think it's a great movie. It's just haunting and possessive, and it puts a hold on you, and I think that's powerful for a film to do that. I think it's so rare that we see movies like this, especially... Ones about women like this. Ones about women, and I feel like horror Mm -hmm. is a genre where women are so often just, like, massacred and have little to no personalities, and I think it's very powerful to see a woman... Especially about, like, also, it's about a body. Like, obviously, it starts off as, like, a woman's 
body or woman identifying body, but kind of like how her body can change throughout all these experiences that she's going to, especially like you were talking about gender, because I do think this film speaks a lot about gender, especially with the body horror that it is. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I think it also says a lot that she feels so comfortable with herself as a man, even to the point of like, you know, still embracing her femininity Yeah, as a man, which is quite wonderful. She finds herself appreciating both being a man and also appreciating being pregnant at multiple points in the movie, (laughs) which is such a fun contrast. And I love it so much. It is a fun little contrast. Um, I also think it's really fun the way that this movie used sex work and doesn't even like really describe it as sex work or kind of brushes past it. I think it is so important that movies like this are made where she's just being a normal person. That is also an exotic dancer. Yeah. It's very similar to, I feel, how movies like Zola deal with sex work. And I think it's important that movies are being made during this time. And I think it's so surprising that we're in a time where movies like Tatan and movies like Zola can be made where sex workers are portrayed as real people who have autonomy over their own bodies. Exactly. And meanwhile, we're still in the age where movies like Last Night in Soho are being made. <laughs> yeah. Where the horrifying element of this horror movie is sex work. Yeah. Like, I think it's just so interesting to see how these movies are received mm-hmm. compared to movies like Last Night in Soho. Exactly. Is French cinema for the win on this film. French cinema for the win. I feel like this movie will remain in my mind for a really long time. It definitely will. And it, I think it will, will remain in, like, everyone's mind who watches it. Because I have yet to meet a person who's seen it and did not like it. Exact. If you didn't like this movie, I have very strong <laughs> words for you. <laughs> like, I don't know. Did you like this movie more or less than Raw? That's a good question. I've both, I really, I've seen both of them only once, so I feel like I need to see them again. I own the Raw DVD back in Chicago, so maybe I'll plan a little movie night and force people to watch Raw. Double feature, (laughs) Satan and Raw. I wonder how many people will stay to the end. No one. (laughs) No one. Um, Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much all I have to say without talking for... Three hours. Yeah. Even longer. (laughs) We're talking for five hours. Um, I know my opinion on this movie is going to change even more as I watch it with time. And I think that's just the beauty of Julia Ducournu. It is. And check her out if you haven't yet. I 100% recommend. Explore some French cinema. You'll find some really good movies. To quote Bong Joon-ho, if you can get past the one-inch margin of captions which you should be able to get past, um, (laughs) then you will open your world to an amazing world of cinema. And that's so true. That was not a direct quote. No, but you (laughs) paraphrase, but it's okay. (laughs) Who doesn't? But yeah, this has been an episode on Tatan. Please go watch it. Buy it. Buy it. Support our girl, Julia. <laughs> or and our girl Julia Fox, both Julia, our, our two Julias. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for listening. Check us out on Instagram, uh, Woman on Woman Podcast. We also have a website, NicolePattonFilm.com/podcast, 
where you can make suggestions and reach out to us. We also now have a YouTube channel, Women on Women Podcast, and we are planning on getting a Patreon. However, we keep saying that. And we haven't gotten one yet, but we have some really awesome Patreon ideas coming up, so keep an eye out for that. Absolutely. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye.